0: the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober with Alex and Lisa. Season three is sponsored by IPHM, an accreditation board for holistic therapists and training providers around the world. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hello again, Lisa. (laughs) Hi, Alex. Nice nice that you're on time today. I know, well, I wouldn't be, would
1: I, normally, but we've already done one podcast this morning. We have. We have. So we're doing a special today, aren't we? A special release one to mark the end of Children of Alcoholics Week, which is hosted in the UK by NACOA. And we're not going to give it too much of an intro because we've got lots going on in this podcast and I think it's going to overrun the hour by quite some time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've got Josh Connolly and Kerry Walker, who are both NACOA ambassadors, and We're going to have a general chat about life as a child of an alcoholic, life as a sober parent. And then we've got some bits and pieces from special guests, members, ambassadors, all about their experiences of
0: sober parenting. I think it's a real packed episode that ends on such a positive um, and showing the benefits of sobriety in parenthood. So yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. So get your tissues, yeah, <laughs> um, but but we get promise your it. Get a cup yeah, of coffee. <laughs> don't forget your milk frother and um, enjoy. And also, I just want to say a massive thanks to everybody that has been sharing our stuff this week it's so important you know it's not often we do ask people to be sharing our stuff but you know it's really helped reach lots and lots of people so thank you for that
1: well can I add a thank you as well then because I want to say thank you to all our members the people in our support group our ambassadors and all the people our sober friends out there across the globe who have actually contributed to make this episode so special and thank you in advance because we know when this comes out that you've all agreed to share it massively and bring awareness to our favourite charity Nakoa. well
0: my thank you now seems a little bit lame so everything she just said <laughs>
1: <laughs> hello John. hi can how you are we doing? You're fully sideways on and i know i said sideways but you're actually sideways on if you can turn that's very strange it is a bit strange <laughs> <laughs> hmm so, should I go back? That oh, there round? you go. Now you're, now you're up the right way.
2: <laughs> How are you both? I'm good. I'm doing all right. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Been a busy week. So, but uh, good. Feeling good.
1: And you, Kerry, are you good?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Having a bit of a crazy week because my son's bubble's closed at school. So, I'm working next to him, which I've just realised he speaks every five seconds. So, it's a bit I- mental. <laughs>
0: Good, good. <laughs> now, I've just had a right do with mine before we set this off. It's like, you've been warned. <laughs> get out, get out. No, we, we've been, all day when we've been speaking
1: to people, it's the same story, you know, like, oh, I'm finding it tough with the kids. I'm finding it tough with homeschooling. And it's it's all been based around what we're currently submerging at the moment, there's no, there's no separation, is there, between home life and school life? And I think that's the thing for the kids. And I don't know about you two, but it's, it, it's concerning about their connection with children, connection with other children, and about their true mental health. You know, not just that they're feeling a bit stressed, but actually, what impact is this having on them long term? That they're not getting the same level of contact with peers their own age.
2: Yeah. And I think if you look at the rate that their brain is developing young children, particularly in the first nine years, me as a 33 year old, I can sort of catch up on everything I missed out on, on the last year, next year. Um, And and in terms of brain development, you know, it's a whole lot different. So in those first nine years, uh, the year that we've sacrificed in our children's brain development in to put them into a frightening and scary world and, let their brain develop in, under those circumstances for a year I think for a lot of them it'll be it'll be okay because they'll have lots of loving and nurturing adults around them but, but I think for any children that don't have that uh, it's going to you know it's going to further um, you know impact them at a level that we've probably not seen
1: yeah I agree you know, Not I mean, to be too morbid. <laughs> no, no. And I, and I think it's important for us to kind of start there, really, because I know people have heard both your stories on different platforms and, you know, they've heard mine, they've heard Lisa's. But, you know, if we relate that story, if that had been, if your story, and you'll have to outline, had been going on in a situation like now, you know, what would that have been like? Can, can we start with you, Josh, with that question, just to like kind of summarise your story and then talk about a bit? What it would have been like if it had been in lockdown.
2: Yeah, well, look, I grew up. My dad was my dad was an alcoholic, so he was, you know, sort of violent, angry, um, chaotic man. Really, so I think school would have been respite, you know, and, and, and structure, um, some 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 relief from not just the drinking, but the the environment that that you exist in when you're at home. Right. I think if you speak to any COA, that um, they actually don't talk a great deal about the actual drinking they talk about the environment that they existed in right and 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 everything that goes with canoodling to keep the family secret right and I think when there's no end to that there's no end in sight and you're just thrown back in and amongst that environment uh you know I'd imagine the type of drinking that my dad was but there would have been a lot of stocking up to to save having to go out and getting it and um when there's more, you drink more. So it, look, it would have been awful. It would have been yeah. awful. And I'm sure it is for many kids now.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: What's your take on that, Kerry? Well, I had two very different upbringings because my mum was an alcoholic, but when she was really bad, my nana and granddad had swept me away. So if I'd lived with her, it would have been horrendous and like Josh said, there might've been stockpiling. Now that would have been awful because the drinking would have got earlier and earlier. Cause I remember times where I'd hear the mattress lift up and it would be first thing in the morning, the can. Mm. So that would have been awful. And also if she ran out because when she was really bad, she couldn't leave the house to go and get it. Then we would have got the side effects of stopping drinking, which with my mom, it was like being sick, hallucinating loads of anger, so, And also violence from my stepdad. So if I'd lived with her, it would have been awful. But if I hadn't lived with her, that would have been awful too. Because whenever I live with my granddad, I just cried for my mum. So although I knew I shouldn't be with her, I wanted to be with her and I worried about her. So even if you kept me safe from that, it would have been as horrific in my head. Because all the time I would have been thinking, what is she doing now? If she doesn't answer the phone or that protection thing would have still been happening.
1: It's so, it's such a difficult place, isn't it? And as a child, and, you know, I I keep talking about this more and more now, especially since meeting the two of you, that place of being afraid, being scared, being worried, being anxious, not knowing what to do, but wanting to protect them at all costs. You know, like, I've still not come to a full understanding of that. I, I know I haven't. I'm still trying to process that those two things can coexist. Mm. Yeah, I think the um, the
3: love I felt for my mum, the unconditional love was as strong as the fear. So the two together just were so confusing. And they still are to me now. Some days I'm still very angry with her. Some days, God, I miss her. It's yeah, it is really hard to... Yeah. I don't think you can get your head around it. Yeah. I think
2: I think as well, What you know, the main thing that you have to know is that in those initial years, right, we're completely dependent upon our parents. So it's not like, um, it's not a desire. We don't desire to get our parents to love us. It's a biological innate need as a child in this world to attach to your parents. And so when your parents are the ones that are scaring you and frightening you, You literally only have one choice, and that is really to put it on yourself, to abandon yourself and to try and find a way to make it work. And this is why I say people say children are resilient and I say they're not naturally resilient. They're natural born survivors and they'll adapt to the environment to make sure that they can find attachment to somebody that's going to look after them. And if the person that you're trying to attach to happens to be wrapped up in their own addiction, then it's yourself that's going to suffer. You you, you have to do that because you, you have an innate biological need to attach to that person. So so that's, I think, where it becomes so confusing. And then what happens is, as we grow up and sort of start to get more of a rational brain when we move past like seven, eight, nine years old, then we can start to kind of rationalize things in a little bit of a different way. And I think that's why the teenage years and early adulthood is where you start to feel all the kind of mixed emotions. But But before that, I think for most COAs, it's whatever has to happen in order for me to be able to try and seek love from my parent. And that's what will happen. And I think that's the most damaging. That's the most damaging part, really. That's the like, long lasting part.
1: So what impact would you say had on you as an adult then, you know, going through that as a child? And then what, you know, what impact, positive or negative, has that meant for you now as an adult, Josh?
2: Well, I think most of the things that I struggle with can be traced back to the idea that in and of myself, I don't feel like I'm lovable. So, you know, self-love and the value in which I'm supposed to place in myself is something that's supposed to be installed in me in those initial years by normally two loving and nurturing adults that could show up for me. If they can't show up for me in order for me to gain the idea and to understand my value in the world and know that I am lovable just as I am, every single child should have the right to an adult that loves them when they're angry, sad, rageful, jealous, lonely, tired, moody, upset, happy, joyful, all of those range of emotions, and shown that you're lovable in all of them. Then you'd grow up with the self-love and the knowing that that dependence upon your parent would breed enough independence in yourself to be able to become interdependent when, when you grow up. But the absence of that has meant that nearly all of my behaviours, everything that I do, is trying to seek some kind of validation for who I am. I, I you know, I'm completely incapable of, but well, not anymore. I have been in my life completely incapable of conveying my needs, even if it's as simple as, um, even if it's as simple as sitting on a train, yeah. And somebody's sitting next to me and taking up too much space. I can't just go, excuse me, can I just move my arm there? Okay. I'll just sit cramped up against the window through, through, through a complete inability. And I might start trying to manipulate the situation, do a little bit of grunting and moving about, and then I'll start getting annoyed that they can't notice. When all I really need to do is convey my needs, right? So it kind of seeps into everything that I do. So when you ask, you know, positive and negative For me, in a lot of ways, the answer is every, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I get it, I get it, and I can
4: relate to that.
2: To some degree, to some degree, to me trying to get my needs met. I always find it
0: so interesting to speak to you, Josh, because I I don't really um, connect with being a child of an alcoholic, although alcohol was completely a normal thing in my life growing up, completely normal, I was surrounded by it. Then we got a pub. So everybody I knew, everybody I socialised with, everybody I spoke to, drank. But it's not necessarily something that I've ever associated associated myself with. But every time I speak to you or hear you talk, I'm like, oh, my God, I get that. I feel like that. I understand that. And I think not necessarily from just being brought up, around alcoholics I suppose I had a pub people used to come in they used to be banging on the door at like 11 o'clock in the morning to get in so I don't know why I'm so afraid of saying it but also then I ended up um being married to an alcoholic and I've seen the devastating effects that that had on my own children so I kind of relate to what you're saying through growing up but also really sadly in what I've seen my own children have to go through with a stepfather as well so there wasn't really a question there I just kind of wanted you to know <laughs> that every yeah, no, time you talk I'm like oh my god. <laughs> but, but,
2: but, but, but I think I think in the end what you start to realise is actually as you know COAs what COAs experience is level 10 of something that nearly everybody experiences probably at level one or two because yeah. we're all you know, we're all living the human condition and kind of struggling with it, right? I, I, I don't think you'll ever meet a parent who is 100% present and fully in them, bo- embodying themselves and present with their children 100% of the time, right? So I think we all experience some level of it, uh, but, but yeah. as COAs, I think it's like you know, it's the top, the top level, if you will, when yeah. when most people are experiencing a, a relatively low level.
1: You know what I'm beginning to realize, um, obviously through my connections with you, you both, um, is it's actually much more common than I actually ever realized to come from either a dysfunctional family as we kind of categorize it or to be a COA and you know Kerry obviously you've done loads of work with NACOA over the both of you have but I'll just come to you for a second because your experience is very similar to mine in that you did have that safe adult to go to you know with your granddad and I had my auntie how do you think having that safe adult in your life has impacted on you as an adult and on the ways that you model behaviors to your children I always think
3: if you've got some sort of role model, you'll be okay. I can't imagine if I'd had no role model, how I'd be now. But I kind of gauge everything I do now on what is normal on my upbringing with my granddad, because it was such a contrast from my mum. There's bits I can still take from her, aside from the drinking, that I really want to be like. But I think, yeah, most of it um, is all from him and the way he was my security. I had no security. I didn't feel safe with my mum. She couldn't keep me safe, but my granddad could. So it's really important to me now that I keep my children safe. Mm. But my problem is that because I'm still quite traumatised, and I think I am, I think it's an ongoing thing for me. Since I've had children, I will do something and I'll think that they're traumatised. So I'll do a little thing, I'll get something slightly wrong and I'll think... God, I've traumatised them. And I think, they're thinking this now, but they're not because they're not me. And yeah. they're not in the environment. They're safe, they're secure, they're happy. But I find it very hard to just accept where I am now my anxiety is kind of still back there when I was young and I have to be the perfect parent and that's stressful because I always want to make sure that they're okay and they don't ever
1: feel how I felt so that's yeah hard sorry I went on a tangent there <laughs> no you didn't it's really valid that actually you know to think that you're parenting from a traumatised perspective it's like you know all the time you're thinking well what would that make me feel like how would that what if you know I've shouted at my children now I shout at my children occasionally I get it wrong and you know then I go and I say I'm really sorry I shouldn't have done that they've not witnessed Witnessed me being pinned up against a wall and dragged around. So that me shouting at them isn't going to have the same impact on when I was shouted at and thinking, oh, am I going to get pinned up and dragged around? Do you know, it's it's not, it's so valid that it is valid. Parenting from, as a COA is valid.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think it will resonate with everyone, it certainly resonates with me. And I do, but I do think the difference is, is that the difference is with us as parents, you know, you've just talked, to Alex, about kind of shouting at your children, right? Uh, we all, you know, I say, if you get it right, 30% of the time you're doing well. Yeah. So, but, but the difference is, I think the big difference is if I shout at my kids, when I do catch myself and I reground really ground myself, I go back and I let them know that I was wrong and that their feeling of being pissed off or whatever they are with me is very valid and very right. I grew up in, you know, most of us grew up in an environment where, where all that was trying to be swept under the carpet. So if I even voiced my opinion that I don't like it when you shout at me, it would be like, Oh, stop being so silly. Get on with it. Right. And it would be me. So of course it would reaffirm that. Um, But I think, you know, one of the best questions that we can ask ourselves all the time is, am I coming from a place of wounding or am I coming from a place of like presence? And so much the ways that we perceive ourselves when we're coming from that. I know this is true for me, when I'm coming from a place of wounding, you know, you sort of wake up to that. And then rather than just thinking, right, I'm I'm not going to come from the place of wounding anymore. You just deceive yourself in in new ways so that you still come from it. Right. And that's that kind of, that's why I really resonate with what Kerry's talking about because, you know, sometimes Leah, my wife has to just say to me, Josh, we don't have to look for the meaning and kind of go deep. <laughs> like, like they were being annoying. Like, you know, they were <laughs> being annoying and you snapped, you said, Sorry. Like, don't worry about it. And, you know, that's why I always say you've got to be a little bit careful because, you know, for all the stigma that we want to get rid of when we talk about mental health, sometimes I need my, my wife to say to me, get a grip. Like, do you know <laughs> what I mean? So I can go, oh, yeah, she's right. Like, I'm just, you know, trying to look for the deep spiritual meaning and how traumatized is my child going to be because I've snapped at them. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I totally re- it totally resonates. I get
3: yeah. it as well. When you said earlier about, though, that you're not resilient, I've had so many friends that have said, like, I don't know, I moved my son's schools, we've moved house, and I moved house so much, I moved school so much, and I'd be like, oh, God, what's it going to do to him? And then she'd say, children are resilient, it's fine. I'm like, they're not. And I do believe that. You've got to be careful that you don't, like... I don't know. I just I don't know. I'm just a bit more sensitive to that, but too sensitive. Like they are to a certain extent. But, yeah, I do still worry too much.
2: (laughs) Which Again, again, the thing that I would say about that is that they have huge capacity to be resilient and you could move a a child's schools every month. Right. And they would adapt. And if you were there with them, really present with them, validating every struggle that they had in it. You know, you are moving schools. This is different. I'm here with you. I understand that this might make you angry, that you might be annoyed. That Of, of course, you wouldn't want to move them schools, but the, the, yeah. the, 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 the presence of yourself with them in that experience is what makes them resilient. Yeah. Take, take that away and move them schools every month. They can't comprehend what's going on. They don't have the rational brain that us adults have. So what will a child do? There's something wrong with me. I can't, adapt. you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I think, children have a huge capacity to be resilient because they're resourceful and they're adaptable. However, if they don't have a present and nurturing adult in their life to help them comprehend what they're experiencing, then they, then I wouldn't call it resilience. I would call it survival. Yeah. Yes. And that's why I've got loads of unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yeah. Cause actually they weren't that unhealthy when you put me back in the unhealthy environment that I once existed in. Yeah, They actually yeah. make a lot of sense, you know, being anxious all the time in fight or flight all of the time. Makes sense when there's a fight going downstairs every day. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not a defensive child anymore. That's the difference.
1: Yeah, I think so Le- Le- interesting. I know, I know you're kind of my co-host on this podcast, but I just <laughs> want to ask you something because <laughs> you, you've you like you say, just going back to what you said about you and your ex-husband and obviously, you know, you stopped drinking because you wanted to provide that stability that josh is talking about your
0: children were
1: impacted with your husband's instability yeah
0: massively yeah and i don't think i ever realized this and you know weirdly i've stopped drinking it's two and a half years now and this last week or two it's been really on my mind and things have kind of come to the surface if you like and it's little things like My children, before I met my ex-husband, our house was like the house where all the children came. The garden was full of children. They stopped over. They slept over. It was like a real fun place to be. And slowly over the years, I realised that my children's friends didn't knock on the door anymore. And the reason they didn't knock on the door anymore is because, particularly my eldest daughter, was so worried about what kind of mood he would be in if they did knock on the door. Um, like I remember once was coming home from an IO and she was like 15, I think, at the time, 14, 15. She had friends in the garden, normal kind of thing, a bit later. She shouldn't have really been doing it, but no biggie. And at the time, and it's all I've only just remembered this this week, he chased these like boys up the street shouting and swearing and oh god she were absolutely devastated and I remember the anxiousness of me being worried about what to say or it it was just awful and it, it So, yeah, it massively, massively affected my children. And when I realised I'd kind of started enabling, I'd started, like, saying to the children, oh, leave him, you know, he's had a tough week at work, let's leave him to his own space, or "Oh, we won't ask him if your friends can stop tonight, we'll wait another time. And that's kind of a big reason why i stopped drinking in the end is because i was like what I, every weekend's becoming about drinking every night is becoming about drinking like what are my kids experiencing um and it did have effects on them yeah massive really what well, kevin you, you
1: i don't know if i'm right here actually you don't class yourself as sober do you no but you hardly I'll, drink I'm, I'm half a lager girl yeah <laughs>
3: I am it's really weird actually because I was listening to you know Sober Dave was doing Instagram lives throughout January I started watching them because I thought they were just really interesting to watch and And the more people went on and talked about the teenage years, I thought, God, I actually really had a problem in my teenage years. But I didn't know at the time because I thought all my mates were hanging around, were doing it as well. But now I look back and I think I found the people that I could get absolutely hammered with. Then when my mum died when I was 21, I had a couple of nights out that were horrendous. And I just decided I couldn't drink. I thought, I've got to stop. And since then, I had a year off drinking. And I've just had a really weird relationship with it ever since. So I can have one, possibly two, and I'll stop. And all my friends have always got on at me like, why don't you drink more, have a shot? And I look back now and I think, what kind of mates are you? You know how my mum died. Why are you questioning me? And I don't want people around me like that anymore because... Don't question how I drink. I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, it's just it's just what works for me. I don't hear of it that
1: often, but that's um, what I like. Well, what I was going to add, I'm glad that that was right because I did think that this was the case. But what I was going to say is the way that you drink then has been influenced by the way that you saw drink and never want to be. Am I right in saying that? Yeah,
3: I can't ever lose control. Um, I like to feel, yeah, I like to feel in control. And I think if I start feel slightly out of control I kind of again got this fear of becoming my mum so it's another thing that I associate with her so yeah I never want my children to see me with a hangover or for me to be irritable because I've got a hangover or I just don't ever want that to happen.
1: Yeah and I think that's where we we both came from it was getting to the point of um, our children missing huge chunks of the weekend because either we were drinking socialising socialising and drinking or recovering from a a hangover and it's that bit as well that i think that many people don't realize impacts the children you know I, i i um went to a parents evening when my middle child was about four or five and you know they write their weekend news and I've said this before on podcasts it's nothing new but she'd written um I sat on my mummy's bedroom floor eating sweets while she was asleep and I know I know that would have been a hangover like it makes me cringe now to think that oh I did that that's how I was and I'm so glad I stopped to allow me to be present because that's where I was heading I was heading the same way as as my parent you know in that down that road and and you josh you've you've stopped haven't you drinking for a lot of years yeah,
2: now, yeah? uh yeah it'd be nine nine years this year so i stopped in 2012 um drinking and using drugs did you have children right.
1: before you did you did have children before didn't you yeah then?
2: my eldest was uh six when i quit drinking uh so yeah i mean look there uh uh, their mental health in their life today uh, is, is still impacted by the initial years of of my drinking and there's no there's no two ways about that the way that I drank I mean i, I was I drank a lot like it was I, there was never really any kind of it wasn't a difficult relationship with it uh, it was I was fully in the relationship I mean I loved it uh, <laughs> and I think that's important for me to say you know I like You know, I'm not someone who tries to convince myself that uh, it was all bad when I did it. I mean, I loved it. Like, I loved it. That's why I drank so much of it. I loved it from the moment I did it. It, You know, drink saved my life, really. I was Um, just
1: going to ask you about that. Did you hit a rock bottom mentally and stop drinking? Or did you hit a rock bottom with drink, which allowed you to recover mentally?
2: I, um, I stopped drinking because it stopped working. That's probably the simplest answer. Mm-hmm. I stopped drinking because even when I was drunk, I was, I was as miserable as I realized I was as miserable, even more miserable than when I wasn't drunk. Uh, it, if, you know, it, if you want to talk about a rock bottom, I had that about nine months into being sober. Yeah. yeah, so I was like nine months without alcohol and drugs. And that's when I planned to take my own life. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, was ne- alcohol was never my problem. Yeah, my problem. My, alcohol was an attempt at a solution. Alcohol was a reaction to my problem. Um, you know, I, my life didn't get better when I stopped drinking. <laughs> my life got worse. That's just you know, and and that's why I love what you do with the sober community stuff because um, you know I was 24 years old and there was no, I did not know another 24 year old that, that wasn't drinking. I was 24, had a failed marriage, four kids, and I was an alcoholic. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah. envisage much future for myself if I was honest. <laughs> I'm honest with you. And, you know, the reality was is that, you, you know, I took away drink and now I had no way to deal with how I felt, you know, and I was just left with it. And I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the ways that I felt w- without alcohol, which, you know, which is why I drank because uh, I couldn't deal with how I felt.
1: So, Right. And you might not be able to answer this. It might just be more of a discussion point. If we think then about, you know, the the, the people that we're trying to reach, the people that we want to support through the work that we're doing with NACOA, whether they be children or adult children or even the parents themselves to recognise that this is an issue. Like you know, what what do those people do? What's that? You know, what? How can we support them? You're stuck in this household. Their children, they're vulnerable, or they're adults who've gone through all this. You know, what what can Nicola do to support them, and what can we do? What's your opinion on that?
2: The, the main thing that I say to anybody is to focus on yourself and your own well-being. Right? I think this is why community is so important, and because. The the, the the person who can help somebody who's trapped in addiction the least are the people that are in loving relationships with them, be it husband, wife, children or close family. Right. They're the ones who can't help. And in fact, their attempt to help often becomes part of the problem. And so I think the best thing, if you know somebody that's tra- trapped in addiction that you can do for them is to start laying boundaries and putting yourself first and looking after your own well being and not abandoning yourself anymore in order for them to feel okay. I mean, Lisa, you talked a little bit about how, you, you know, with your ex partner, how it started going down the route of you and the kids start changing your life. Yeah, yeah. So that he gets to carry on in a way. Let's avoid him. Let's not upset him. Right. Let's do this. Let's 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 build our lives around our fear of the person and their addiction. Yeah. And of course, I'm not a big fan of the word enabling because actually I just think in and of itself, it's actually part of the addiction. You are just trapped in part of the addiction. So I think, you know, the best thing that we can do is help and support from an ACOA standpoint is help and support support the, the children or adult children to be able to um, reconnect with themselves and start to put themselves first and look after themselves in a meaningful way, you know the six C's um, that I won't try and quote because I can. <laughs> I normally reel off the first three and then start stirring. But but uh, you know, focusing on that person's health and, and and well-being in that way, I think is like almost the only thing. So we can do I don't know Kerry what would you, you might um, be able to articulate it more as well
3: for me um, I didn't know that I was a child of an alcoholic so I always take it right back to basics and think I need these children to know that they are the child of an alcoholic because until they realise that they just think they're the they aren't normal and they're the only ones in the world and there's nothing they can do about it so just getting the message to them that like Josh made up COA is a thing we're, you're not alone and we're here and to give you whatever support you want you don't have to speak out like that's the scariest thing ever I would never have spoken out about my mum not for a long time anyway not without a lot of trust but to know that I could look on message boards or call the helpline or just just to read one I can remember the first time I read the first story on um the website just like what how are you the same as me how is this possible that I'm not the only
1: one in the world that's gone through this
5: yeah mm. I, I...
1: I think I did know you know I think I, I've been given this thought I'm, I don't know if it was you that asked me about it Carrie but I think I did know I was a child of an alcoholic but became completely disassociated from that identity so I wouldn't say it was so much that I didn't know I was there I didn't think I needed help did you find yeah. that you hear that all the time
3: just people saying yeah my parent drank but I don't think I was a child of an alcoholic. It was just normal. But then the more you get to know them and they hear more about Nakoa, they're like, oh, actually, I do feel like that. Yeah, that did happen. Oh, maybe I did. <laughs> <Again. laughs> and I think life. there's a
2: lot. Well, I, I mean, if you imagine getting, reaching your adulthood and fully admitting yourself the truth at 18 years old, say, right, hypothetically speaking, my dad was an alcoholic and we never really had a proper relationship. That is, you know, it's, it's towards your adulthood, that you would start to be able to digest that and and, and actually understand that at any kind of level. And then it's too late. Hmm. So why would you start to admit to yourself? Let's leave it over there. Yeah, let's carry on with the narrative They weren't that bad, But people have it way worse. We always do that, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: you know, they, they,
2: you know, People <laughs> have it way worse than me. It was bad, maybe, but, you know, people have it way worse than me. And then let me get busy doing the things that I need to do in order for me to feel okay. Drink alcohol, I don't know, count my calories, eat too much ice cream, whatever it may be. Let me get busy doing that and keep the nice kind of uh, idea of my childhood keep that narrative and use every kind of external thing that I can to push down my truth. Mm. And I think what we do that, and most of us reach a certain age, be it mid late twenties, early thirties, forties, whenever it is, but we can't keep it up anymore. And the, 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 the drink stops working or whatever it is. And it comes out and then we've got, we've got no choice but to face it.
1: And I guess that comes back to what you were saying about the resilience, because I always thought I was an incredibly resilient and strong child. But actually, when life's problems, which everybody has, did get me down, they got me down, you know, like I didn't have the coping skills to deal with normal life events. And I, th- and I guess that's where it it dawns on people that, oh, my God, this has come from a traumatic childhood, yeah? Mm. I,
3: I never thought that... Um my life was okay and everything was okay. I thought it was horrendous. I thought my childhood was horrendous, but I thought I was just a bad person and that it had happened. I didn't compare to my friends. I didn't compare to anyone. I just thought, I've been awful and my mum drank because of that. And I took it all internally to, I wouldn't say I brushed it under the carpet, but I couldn't, I don't know. That was just how I thought of myself. So I've just had to really work on myself that I didn't cause it all. Like again, one of the six Cs, I thought I caused everything. That's what I found more.
2: And I think, again, you know, that's another narrative that protects ourselves from the ultimate truth.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't
2: it? Yeah. You know, in your case, I don't want to sort of tell your story, Kerry, but in your case, your mum had a problem and was, for many different reasons, unable to kind of be there in the way a more healthy mother might have been. You know, a more healthy is the wrong terminology, but you know what I mean? And so I made out that it wasn't that bad because that was better than dealing with the truth that my dad was incapable of being, forming a loving relationship with me in the way in which I needed it and wanted it. So I think like the levels of deceit that we kind of tell ourselves, whether, you you know, lots of people are like Kerry, they turn it in and say, it must've been my fault. It must've been something with me. I went to avoidance.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: No, there's nothing to see here. It's, it's not that fine. Give me another beer. Let me, you know, I, I'm not angry. I'm fighting a football every week. I'm not angry about my childhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a fight left, right and centre. Right, because it's it's you know it becomes my, my my tactic was avoidance. So I think you know what what tends to happen is we we form some level of deceit to protect ourselves from the ultimate truth because the ultimate truth is, in essence, too painful to bear. You know.
3: Yeah. So it was never so it was never our parent to blame, but actually it was our parent to blame. But we couldn't cope with again that feeling of being unlovable and rejected.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How can you comprehend that as a child? You can't. Uh, But we can blame yourself. Exactly, and also if you blame yourself, you can get busy trying to get better. So then you get control. I can't control my dad drinking, but what I can control is how hard I try at school or how funny I am when everybody's over. Yeah, I can control that stuff and try and be good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so so of course it makes sense. Makes sense that we go like that. Makes perfect sense, really, when you hear our stories.
0: Yeah. You know what, I'd love to ask you, because I know a lot of parents listen to our podcast, mums in particular, and they might be sat there listening and thinking, oh my God, my poor child. (laughs) This is what I've put them through. I've now stopped drinking, but my children are suffering the effects. What can they do to to help their children now? Well, for me, I I wish, My mum
3: had just said that she had a problem. She never said it. It was always in my head. I was like, is it actually happening? I'm finding cans everywhere, but it's not even real. So I could never accept how I was feeling. And I was always trying to bite it off because in my head was it actually happening so be honest start being honest start having those conversations and giving your child space to have all these emotions i wish i could have said like i'm really scared am i going to go to school and you're going to come and embarrass me today have you really stopped drinking just yeah be honest
2: yeah i think that is like the, the key element is to get present with your kids i would say to any parent um your kids know everything whether you like it or not you can pretend yeah. they don't if you if you don't want to they actually know more than you're willing to admit so so what i would say to any parent is the best thing that you can do for your kids is work on yourself to start to understand the the the, the sessions that the the moments and stuff that you avoid over the last nine years i mean i'll tell you a story about my son actually this was like probably two years ago now so i'd stopped drinking you know i'm very open with my kids about drinking da, da, da. The journey didn't stop there for me. I didn't stop drinking. And then six months later, I was the perfect parent yeah. for, for for a while. I was just the same dad, but d- I didn't drink. I'd imagine there were times where my kids thought, have a drink. And, that, you know, right. I, I say that in sort of a little bit of jest, but also in truth, because they would have probably thought, you're so uptight. You're so incapable of being present with us. At least when you had a drink, we knew where we were at. Right. Yeah. So then I had to do like a lot of work. And then, I remember I was having a real difficulty with my son. Our relationship was really strained. It was really, really difficult. Uh, you know, we were having lots of arguments. I thought he's, there's something wrong with him. He's playing up a lot. He's got some issues going down here. And after about a year of a really strained relationship, I said to my, I remember in bed, like, you know, at night when you're at heads on the pillow, that's when you talk about stuff in it. And I said to my (laughs) wife, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. And she said, you know what? And this is my wife, Leah, who's not his mom. She said, he's not the problem. You, you're the problem. And what had happened was, is my son, who's very much like me, he was piercing through every single different coping mechanism I had from my own kind of sensitivity. And he was taking me back to feeling really exposed. And what was happening was he was picking up on my sensitivity acting it out. Yeah. And I'm going for all these different things. How do I change him? How do I put structures in place for him? And what I needed to do is stop looking at him and start looking at myself and asking myself, why am I showing up to this relationship in this way? It is never, ever my children's duty to reconcile their relationship with me. It's down to me. He's looking to me, whatever he's doing, he's acting out or trying to communicate something to me. And it's down to me to find a way to be present enough to be able to be with him in that and understand that. And I can tell you our relationship changed almost overnight. Actually, that's unrealistic, (laughs) but yeah, it began to move in the right direction overnight because I started to look, when I got angry with him, I started to question why am I so triggered in this moment? What is it? Maybe it's, I'm trying to escape into my phone and he knows I'm stressed and he ain't got enough because he's only eight, nine years old. He can't find it in him to say, dad, stop looking at your phone and come and chuck this ball with me or kick this ball with me. So he just hangs around me being what I see as annoying. Because why is he annoying? Because he's trying to get me to be present and be with him. So so I can shout at him and get annoyed with him and say he's playing up. Or I can go, let me look at myself and ask my, and question myself in this relationship. And that takes like a level of humility because you've got a look at yourself you've got to have a lot of compassion for yourself because as soon as you wake up to that you realize you do it every half an hour (laughs) apart from when I hide in the office during the day
0: I think every parent needs to hear that whether they were a drinking parent a non-drinking parent just every single parent needs to hear that Josh you saw right it is true and and I was just going to say you know not every parent has the capacity whether that be because they are
1: you know, traumatise themselves, are still living in trauma or whatever. So, you know that that I guess is where the twofold work needs to be done, isn't it? The work on the parents, but also the support for the children. And if if an adult hasn't got the capacity to support their child, even if they're sober and no longer drinking, can, you know, could, should that child go to NACOA? Should that child go and seek help with the parents' advice, with the parents' help, can they put them in touch?
7: Absolutely.
5: Yeah.
1: I mean, I've not been on the helpline. Kerry, have you been on the helpline or the message no. boards? So do we? Do we know? Do they get? Because um, I'm not on the helpline, and I know you're not on the helpline, Josh. But does the does the and you're not Lisa? <laughs> <laughs> we <all> useless, really. <laughs>
0: we're, I've worked, on, I've
1: worked
8: on
2: the email. I've worked on the email how
1: So do you get children? And I'm talking about under eighteen year olds here, whose parents are sober who are seeking support still. Yes. Yeah. People do. People
2: do. Yeah. People do phone up um, uh, when when parents have got sober. And I think it's a really important thing to highlight as well, because yeah. actually it can be a really, really difficult time for children, not least because they'll be playing a certain role within the family. And when the parent goes and gets sober, they normally come back and snatch that role straight back.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're the carer within the house... If, if I'm the one who gets the kids, gets my little brother and sister, and I'm hypothetically I'm making this up, gets my little brother and sister dressed every morning. I'm the one that feeds them. I'm the one that makes sure that they're okay, cuddles them, puts them to bed. And all I want in the world is just for my mum to stop drinking. Yeah. And every day I wake up and hope today's going to be the day. And then one day mum goes and gets sober, right? Comes home the next day. is completely not drinking anymore. Is all high on being sober. Starts putting all the kids to bed starts making all of the dinner and all of a sudden I start thinking I want mum to drink again and I've got no idea why. And it's because she's, I, I, and what do I think by the way in that situation, I must be a horrible person. Oh my God, I'm horrible. I want my all I've wanted is for her to stop and now I want her to drink again. And it's because I don't realize that the role, my, my very existence in the world has been snatched back from me by the very person who I wanted to stop drinking. So, you know, if you happen to be the carer in that kind of, that kind of way, Yeah if sobriety happens, this is why I talk about um, family recovery, family healing. If you need to recover from your drinking, your children do. With you. With you. <laughs> yeah? Because they were part of the family struggle.
1: And that goes it's, back it's to what Kerry was saying, doesn't it? About, you know, talking to your children and, and being honest and being open and having those conversations in a child-appropriate way. I think... I've. I- the only thing that
3: I ever want in life now is connection because I missed it so much as a child. And with my children, if I haven't spent enough time with them that day, I'll make sure I'll get a game out or I'll do something with them. And I love doing journaling with them, anything where I can connect with them because I missed it so much as a child. And I know when they haven't had enough connection. And like especially in lockdown, I mean, I'm missing it. People aren't meant to be apart, are they? It's so important mm especially now, because you you can see their behaviour change. My boy starts kicking off. I know that I haven't sat down with him that day and I've been too busy because I'm working all the time. And you've got to make that time, even if it's just 10 minutes of your day, to just sit on the floor with them and be with them, not thinking of anything else. And it's really hard at the moment, but it's really important
1: yeah I fully agree so I mean we are going to wrap up but obviously this podcast goes out on the last day of COA week so everything will have pretty much happened and this is going out there like you know what what should people be doing now preparing for next COA week other events you know what can we do to get people involved any of you both of you
2: Oh, go on then. I'll go. If this is going out on Friday, first thing I'd say is rest, breathe. That's normally what happens at the end of COA week (laughs) because it's normally uh, so chaotic. I think it's just having these types of conversations, right? The, The worst thing about this whole situation when it comes to COAs is that there's no fix. You know, it's not like something's broken and let's raise some money and sort it out. A lot of these children are growing up in environments where... It's not necessarily safeguarding issues. We can't whip them out and that wouldn't be the best thing anyway and all that kind of stuff. So let's have the conversations and it comes back to what, what Kerry said, really, which is letting getting the message out there. Like when I was a child and I was at school, if I'd have seen a NACOA poster at nine years old, children of alcoholics, children affected by their parents drinking, I would have gone, oh my God. Oh my God. Like this is a thing. That's me. That happened when I was 25 years old after I'd blown my life to bits and ruined everybody's lives around me, right? If it had happened when I was eight years old, things could have been different. So, you know, there's so much to be said for that raising awareness and and, and getting the message out there. So having these honest conversations, I, I guess, is what people should and can do.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I think people are scared of these conversations, aren't they? They actually really are because of either themselves and being a parent or growing up it, it's a scary conversation to have so if we can make that a little bit easier and kinder and like you said Kerry connecting they say that is the complete opposite of addiction don't they So connection conversations let's do it yeah
3: keep spreading the word get posted up in your local schools just keep letting people know that it's a thing and be the adult that listens to the child if you see a child struggling, everybody knows a COA. And yeah. just ask them if they're all right, but don't just ask them. I always remember George Freeman saying this. Don't just ask them, really ask them. Get down on their level and say, how are you?
1: How are you really? I'm here, anytime." Oh, time. such a valid point. Honestly, we, we could go on and we can't but thank you both for your time. Um, the, there's a load of contributions coming up from members and peers of the sober community. And at the end of this podcast, have a listen back, both of you when, you, when you get a minute, because there's contributions from parents and the benefits that they found of being sober coming up. So thanks for both being on. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.
7: Hi, my name's Mark. I've been sober for 16 years now. Um, I am the child of an alcoholic, and obviously, I have children that are themselves children of an alcoholic. So, I have four daughters. Uh, and me stopping drinking, um, I see the importance of that. Well, I can't even begin to underestimate the importance of that. I feel like I've managed to throw a stick in the spokes of the repetitive spinning round of addiction through. Through the generations of my family I feel like and I trust and I hope that I manage to show my girls that you can be happy sad have a laugh bash it crazy stupid uh, emotional um, calm hysterical all those things without having a drink inside you um, and as I often say to my girls uh, you know try and make sure that alcohol in your life is a uh, A great and fantastically entertaining acquaintance but not your best friend Um, so I kind of begin to overestimate how much me stopping drinking has been significant to me being able to have meaningful relationships with my daughters Um, you know my two youngest haven't really known me drunk at all, my two oldest have Uh, and by stopping 16 years ago I prevented years and years of pain, agony, strife, helplessness in others, in them Um, and there's no better reason really for me to stay sober than to uh, have achieved that Hello everybody, I'm Darren I'm the author of Finding Your Sober Bubble and I've been sober since March 2019 The benefits of sobriety for my children, apart from not having to put up with a drunk dad is the fact that they can now see that you don't have to have alcohol to have a good time and you don't have to follow society into thinking that alcohol is this go-to glamour puss for all events and all occasions. It simply isn't. And let's be honest, as a dad, I can embarrass him just as easily being sober. How's that? Take
4: care. Hi, my name is Anne, I'm a member of Be Sober and I'm sober now for nearly five months Uh, I have a five year old little girl and the biggest change here is routine her bedtime routine most of all I decided to create a little time to chat to her about her day, I keep it simple I ask three questions, the same every night did anything make you happy or sad today? If so we chat about and we figure it out and then we always finish with what was your favourite part of the day? This is really a precious precious insight into your little world and I really love it I myself trying to avoid uncomfortable feelings. I don't want that for her. I want her to understand her own feelings and to know what to do with them. We're both learning here. I have to thank Alex, Lisa, and Joe for helping me get there. These girls are holding our hands and gently and kindly guiding us through the process. I will be forever grateful to you guys for helping us change my life. Thank you.
9: Hey, my name is Annie Grace, and I am the author of This Naked Mind. And I stopped drinking about six years ago there was a moment in my journey where I was on the couch, I asked my four-year-old son to come sit on my lap and he looked at me and he said, mom, you smell bad and your teeth are purple and he didn't want anything to do with me and that was one of many moments in my drinking parenting journey that just cut deep and had me realize, really develop kind of two minds, what I call cognitive dissonance of both wanting to drink because I believed it relaxed me and it helped me be a better mom, I actually thought it made me more present with my kids and also wanted to stop drinking because I started to see some of the harms in order in my body in my family in my life and it was a really painful time and ultimately i did find a way to stop drinking entirely and that was just through digging into all of the reasons i drank and asking myself if they were true and then backing it up with science trying to find out what the science said is this true is this not true what is really true and the information i discovered was mind-blowing i actually put it out for a free download and twenty thousand people downloaded it in two weeks and i ended up finding a way to self-publish which is ultimately my book, This Naked Mind Today. And it's been about six years for me now. It's been an absolutely phenomenal journey. I am more peaceful and happier than I've ever been. I look forward to spending time with my children. I look forward to bedtime. I look forward to all those little moments, whereas before bedtime was really just a means to an end so I could get back into the kitchen or the living room and continue on with my glasses of wine. And I think that it's one of the most empowered choices that I've ever made. But I also think that when we talk about this and have this conversation, it's so important to know that we're just doing the best we can with the tools we have. And as parents and as moms we really were just trying to make things better. There was no bad intention in my drinking. It was me trying to survive my life. It was me trying to escape pain. It was me trying to be more present. It was me trying in a way that wasn't actually serving to be the best mom I could be. And now that I know better, I obviously can do better, but I have to really make sure every day not to make my former self wrong. Again, to realize that I was doing the absolute best I could with the tools I had, but then equally be really excited that I have gotten myself out of that trap and can just look forward to an alcohol-free life with my children, which is one of the best gifts I've ever given myself, and certainly one of the best gifts I can give them. Hi,
8: my name is Carly. I am a Be Sober member, sober since July 2020. The benefits of stopping drinking on my children is that they now have a mom who is not only happier, but more present, content, and definitely more energetic.
10: Hi, I'm Claire Pooley, and I'm the author of the blog, Mummy Was a Secret Drinker, and the memoir, The Sober Diaries. I've been sober for very nearly six years now. Um, it's gone very fast. Um, and I think the benefit, the best benefit uh, of me being sober for my kids is the fact that I'm not constantly trying to run away from them and find excuses to be somewhere else doing something else. Uh, we're all now on the same level which makes a huge difference to us all as a family and um and also i, I feel like i'm setting a, a good example i'm teaching them that you can get through all of life's ups and downs without a prop like alcohol um, and and yes yeah, so many other things i couldn't even start to to tell you but uh, that's probably my my top ones
6: Hello,
8: I'm uh, Christine and I've been a member of the Be Sober community since just before Christmas 2020. Um, I have um, a grown-up daughter, she's 23 this year and since I've stopped drinking my relationship with her has improved tenfold in that um, I can advise her from a sober perspective really and um, drinking doesn't get in the way. She listens to me more carefully and um, she's got more trust in me than she had before.
11: Hi, I'm Julia Carson, the author of Sober Positive. I've been a sober parent since February 2017, and I think the biggest differences for me are I enjoy being a parent more, I am present as a parent more, and um, I have so much less guilt and shame around my parenting. I'm not saying my parenting's guilt-free, because I'm human and I'm a single mum, and I'm torn in different directions all the time, but I don't feel shame about how I behave as a parent ever, and that has been pretty life-changing for me.
6: Hi, my name's Irene. I'm a Be Sober ambassador. I've been sober since the 31st of December 2018. The benefits of me being sober for my children, Ted and Albe, are that I show them weekends aren't for getting drunk, weekends are for having fun.
10: Hi, I'm Jenny Lee Grace, author of Happy Healthy Sober and host of the Alcohol-Free Life podcast. I've been sober since the beginning of 2018, uh, just over three years, and the benefits of sobriety for my children is that I am who I really am I'm much more present I'm much more authentic it doesn't mean I don't sometimes get things wrong but I uh, I treat them fairly now and I you know that's my biggest regret that's my only regret is that I didn't do this sooner so that I could have been more present and more of who I really am Um, for my kids I so wish I'd done it sooner so that I could have been a better role model but hey ho you know better late than never it's the best thing i ever did
11: hi i'm a be sober member i've been sober now for six months um i started my sober journey because my 13 year old son asked me to stop drinking because i was going to die um So the next day I had stopped drinking. (laughs) Um, It's not been easy. The physical side of it has been a lot easier than the mental side. I've been having a lot of counselling to wade through why I was drinking so much. But the impact on my children has been phenomenal already. They say I'm so much nicer. I've got so much more patience, I'm so much more present, um, and I didn't actually realise just how much damage I was doing them. My nine-year-old daughter said to me last week, Mummy, I've just had the best Christmas ever because you weren't drunk and shouting at me all the time. And. She said she didn't realise just how much it affected her and I feel awful about all of that but at the same time I know that the only way I can make that better is by staying sober now and carrying along this journey and my life is so much better in every single way without the drink
12: Joe, one of the co founders of Be Sober CIC. Uh, I gave up drinking two years ago. I gave up for myself. Um, I didn't see that my alcohol intake was actually affecting my children. Um, So they weren't part of the equation when I took the decision um, to go sober. I thought it was, you know, quite normal to drag your kids off to the beer garden on a sunny afternoon, um, let them run feral for a few hours while I got wasted with my friends. Um, you know, then the the morning after, I'd be hungover, just in bed, leaving them to their own devices. Go and get yourself a bowl of cocoa pops, and leave leave mum to sleep because I was feeling rough. Um, that repeated itself every single weekend. Um, and they just seem to get on with it, bless them, because, well, what choice did they have since becoming sober and seeing the difference it has made uh, in my children's lives? I am a much, much better parent. I am present, um, physically and mentally. Um, I've got more patience. I'm generally just a calmer person. I'm always first one up in the morning. No Mary Poppins, don't get me wrong. You know, kids um, kids, kids are a challenge sometimes and, and we we have our difficulties but we we work through them in a positive way uh, and we just have much much more quality time it's um definitely now the one main reason why i would not go back to drinking alcohol because it's it's just so much better life is so much richer without it and the kids are so much happier Hi, I'm Laura. I'm a Be Sober ambassador and I've been sober since June 2020. The benefits of stopping drinking on my children is that we now have a really good routine in place and we stick to it.
13: Hello, my name's Liam. I am in long-term recovery sobriety uh, and that started on the 7th of June, 2018 after many, many attempts, I might add, um, relapses and various different routes to recovery, but here I am. Um, So yeah, I'm also one half a wise up. it's an organization I started with a friend of mine who's in recovery from gambling um, and one of the massive benefits of my recovery is that I was able to start that organization and now I get to use my experience to kind of raise awareness around lots of different things but addiction recovery uh, mental health and uh, you know and that's massive and I thoroughly enjoy it and I'm proud to do it however the biggest benefit is probably to my loved ones and in particular my three children um, who have got a clean sober and healthy healthy dad um, and you know they were around when I was still doing what I was doing but they won't remember it because they were very young so they've got an example um, of how to live today they've got a dad who's present you know I was always around them but I wasn't present and um, you know I'm with them emotionally I'm with them physically and I'm with them mentally Um And I'm there for them. And I think one of the biggest things about my sobriety is it allows me to be consistent. It allows me to be consistent in their life, which is something that even though I was around them every day, I wasn't consistent, knowing my approach or in what they got out of me. So yeah, it's a massive thing. It's a huge thing, to be honest. Um, And I hope more people, parents, whoever, are able to find recovery and sobriety and give that benefit to their own kids. I wish everyone well. I hope you all stay safe and positive. Please check out our work on Wise Up. And if anyone's struggling, just remember, keep talking, reach out, ask for help. Take care.
14: Hi, I'm Kate Bailey, and I'm the co author of Love Yourself Sober, um, which is a self care approach to sobriety and alcohol free living for busy busy parents and carers. Um, co founder of lovesober.com and uh, also a podcast, Love Sober the Podcast with Mandy. Um, I've been sober since July 2016, so coming up five years, and oh, what a journey and what i'm so grateful basically for my sobriety and in the way that it really it's a cornerstone of my family life, I guess. Um, super delighted to add my voice to the voices supporting the COA. Um, really in their amazing work, and yeah, just to be present and well for my kids. Really, um, to know that I'm I'm a bit of a taxi for my son at the moment. So I know no matter what day, time of day or night, I can I can be there for them, um, and that I'm really um, looking after my health them well-being I mean there's the obvious safety things obvious obviously those but I think now that uh, you know we're available for to talk through things to work through boundary issues to work through our emotions to, in healthy ways and you know as I'm learning I can help my kids learn and and they help me learn as well they teach me as well so you know all round 360 benefit um in my life and, and in my family with being sober. Hi, my name's Kath. I'm a Be Sober ambassador. I've been sober since 2nd of July 2018. Um, the benefits of me not drinking on my children is, um been massive. My son and myself have a, such a better relationship and more present and he just really sees such a difference in me and tells me about
6: it and says how proud he is of me. And that's really good. Thank you. Bye. My name is Jen and I am a Nicola volunteer. Um, growing up in a household with a al- number of alcoholics is completely heartbreaking. Um, there are four generations of my family who are alcoholics. Three of them have unfortunately passed away due to the alcoholism. My mother is still an alcoholic today. Um, and growing up in that environment completely destroyed my personality and damaged my upbringing. Um, I decided to move away from that situation um being the fifth generation i decided myself i was going to be the full stop so decided to stop drinking in january 2018 um, and i've been sober ever since it's probably the best decision i ever made and it's made me such a much more rounded healthier person i was able to focus on my career and my own development and work on my own self-esteem and confidence in life Um, it's completely changed my outlook and how I also want to be if we ever bring children into our family.
5: What's up Sober Nation? It is your friend, it is your pal, I am L.C. Curry. I am the founder and host of the Recovery Soul Food Podcast and Hope and Recovery Network. I am a author, I am a speaker, I am a video content creator, and I am a grateful grateful, sober person since April the 18th of 2013. You know, my son was my inspiration and motivation for getting sober and going into recovery and getting really serious about healing my past traumas and what kept me running for that escape. So the way that getting sober and being in recovery um you know healing those past wounds what all that did for my parenting was it gave my son great stability he didn't have to worry that every time i walked out the door whether i was coming back whether i was going to be in jail some institution or whether i he would never see me again Um, It gave me the ability to show him that healing is possible no matter what you've gone through in your life, that even though maybe you haven't had a perfect childhood, that you can make greatness out of what seems to be tragedy. Um, I'm super proud of all that I've done as a parent in recovery, and I am just super honored and grateful that that I got to be a parent and and have my son. And trust me when I tell you that, you know, we don't always get sober or clean for ourselves in the very beginning, and that was true for me. I didn't love myself, I didn't care about myself enough, but I did look at my son and I desperately did not want him to pay for or repeat my tragedies. And so therefore, I'm so grateful. He got me up on days that I didn't want to get up and stay sober. He was my inspiration and my motivation. And I, even though parenting in recovery is not perfect, there's something that we know that maybe the rest of the world doesn't know. We know how to be accountable. We know how to go and talk to our kids, be accountable for what we've done, and change the behavior. That's what I love about being sober. And this is what I love about the sober experiment and be sober. So have an amazing day.
8: Hi, my name is Katie Walker. I am an advanced certified EFT practitioner and collaborate with Jules Vanderman. And we um, have developed sober programs, alcohol free programs um, for the likes called Dry July, Sober October, Feb Fast, And we hold these um, programs every couple of months to help people um, abstain from alcohol, particularly women. And I have been um, alcohol-free since July of 2020, so nearly eight months, um, which is super exciting. And being um, alcohol-free or sober um, around my child um, it has been amazing just in terms of the connection, understanding and um, presence, which I think is the most significant thing. I'm there, fully present for her when she needs me. Um, we've certainly still had some moments of challenges, but um, they have been reduced because I'm not in a pickled state. So um, all I can say is choosing to go alcohol-free whilst parenting and um, for the long-term future is healthy on so many levels from a, um, you know, Know, emotional level through to physical um, and psychological um, and that's for yourself and for your children so um, it's amazing it's an amazing experience and thank you so much for listening hi my name is Siobhan I'm a be sober member sober since
11: the 22nd of November uh, 2020 the benefits of stopping drinking on my children are being being available for them, uh, keeping the promises that I make, uh, so if we can go somewhere, we go. I don't have a hangover, so we have to cancel or I make up an excuse. Being able to pick them up, drop them off when they need it, instead of not being able to do it all giving them a reason so that they can then tell the friends that oh, I can't make it or I can't do this because it's interfering with my drinking. So just being an available
15: mum, being there for my children, really important to me now. My name's Sean. Um, I'm the co-founder of the sobriety brand uh, Rock Sober. I've been sober six years now. Um, Basically, um, when my children were growing up, um, I was always a drinker. But I I never let that really get in the way of fatherhood. I absolutely loved being a dad to my two sons. Um, and, you know, never let them down. Um, Although I used to uh, obviously suffer hangovers in the morning, I would always get them to their football training and football matches. Um, I didn't think it was fair for them to suffer. Um, uh, And sadly, uh, my drinking kind of escalated um, over the years. And um, it was really at a point when they were teenagers that my drinking got hold of me. Um, And they witnessed, you know, some uh, bad behaviour from... From myself, they knew that I was going through it. Um, For those that know my story, um, there were times when I was put in a cell uh, for kind of bad behaviour whilst out drinking, and ultimately um, I felt ashamed, you know, very shameful of all of that. Um, But I think what they've learned from my mistakes is that obviously, you know, drinking, you can be having a good time one minute, and literally, you know, within within 60 seconds your world can fall apart and that did happen to me Uh, me and my brother uh, my brother being the other co-founder of Rock Sober we always drank together and would always get in numerous scrapes um, ending up in cells but ultimately you know where my children were affected uh, my alcoholism affected my work and it affected my marriage I ended up breaking up with their mother um, and we lost our house Um, so they did actually go through an awful lot but I think now they respect that I'm sober and have been as I say for six years and um my relationship with them has really blossomed since I've stopped drinking and I think the main lesson to them is that they are aware of the dangers of drink they do drink but they drink responsibly uh, and they totally respect my, my situation um so I think um you know it's a case of being really mindful around children I do regret um the past and kind of what I put them through um But very grateful that they've kind of always stood by me um, and respected that it was an illness and it was related to my mental health. So um, to anybody out there that does fear, you know, what their drinking's doing to their family, um, it feels like it's okay one minute, but it can really all fall apart at the seams very, very quickly. So signing off, um, Sean from Rock Sober. Thanks for your time, guys, and uh, love you all. Hi.
14: I'm Lotta Dan, otherwise known as
9: Mrs D, author of Mrs D is Going Without and The Wine O'Clock Myth. I've been sober since September 2011. The benefit of my sobriety for my children, I have three sons, is that oh, I'm just fully present for them any time of the day or night. And I'm modelling to them being a fully-fledged emotional human being. Uh, And that sometimes means mum gets a bit teary or grumpy, but that's the way life is, and I just love that I'm modelling being a really down-to-earth, grounded, emotional woman.
11: Hi, my name is Sam, and I've been a member of Be Sober since March 2020. Honestly, the biggest benefit of stopping drinking for my daughter is that I'm not putting her in danger. You just can't care for a child properly drunk and especially not in blackout. Also, though, no hangovers mean I have so much more energy and I put a lot of that energy into her. I have a lot less mum guilt, but now she's safe with me and that's really the most important thing. Hi, I'm William Porter, author of Alcohol Explained. I've been sober since February 2014. Um, I think with regards to parenting, the benefits for my children really are to have a role model that um, doesn't rely on alcohol um, and isn't relying on alcohol for socializing, for stress, for relaxation. I think from my perspective, um, I've enjoyed parenting more. I think the two things you need to be the best parent you can is one, energy, um and to patients and I think alcohol more than anything else robs you of those two things
1: so we'd just like to say another massive thank you to Josh and to Kerry and to everybody that's contributed to make this podcast possible and thanks again to everybody for sharing our stuff over on
0: Instagram Thank you. So, COA Week is a campaign to raise awareness of children affected by parental alcohol problems. It's celebrated internationally each year during the week in which Valentine's Day falls. In the UK, COA Week is led by the charity Nakawa UK, who provide year-round support, and this is the 12th year now it has been run in the UK. Together, we can increase awareness of this hidden problem and the support available.
1: If you'd like to talk to somebody or, you know, someone who does free confidential help is there for you. You can visit www.nacoa.org.uk, telephone 0800 358 3456 or email helpline at nicoa.org.uk. And of course, if you want some help stopping drinking or taking a break, please drop us a line at Be Sober.
0: Bye. Bye.